Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA, Agriculture of America. Thanks for joining us here on the show today. Got the coffee cup full, ready for some great conversations on the program. We're going to get an update on the major winter storm impacting parts of the plains and Midwest here in the early portion of the week. DTN meteorologist John Baranek going to join us coming up in segment two for an update. In segment three, we're going to run down the latest meat demand monitor with Dr. Glenn Tonsor from Kansas State University. And then at the end of the show, we're going to talk about a topic that I think is pretty important for the farm, cybersecurity. And there's a conference happening later this week at Iowa State University that is the first of its kind. Alexis Stevens with Iowa State University Extension and Outreach is going to join us to detail their cybersecurity on the farm conference. That's coming up at the end of our program today. First up, though, we look at the markets, and it's uh, looking pretty red in the grain and oilseed trade to start off the week, and crude oil down over 3% as well. Let's talk about it. Joining us now, Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. Darren, good to talk with you again, sir. Hope you had a great weekend. I did, Jesse, and uh, as you mentioned, there is a lot to talk about uh, as we head into this week. There is a lot to talk about as uh, we look at these markets, and I know uh, it's going to be a very busy week. We have uh, we get a lot of data thrown at these markets as well later in the week too. But just to start, see a red. Mm-hmm. I know we're watching South American weather, of course. That's been a big driver. But like I indicated, crude down over three percent early on Monday. I'm wondering yeah. if that's maybe a part of the reasoning we're seeing red in the grains here early. There might be something to it. I mean, and, and really. The, the tie would be here that, uh, you know, what we've got is we've got some, we got a lot of non-commercial fund liquidation going on in uh, in the energy sector. Uh, you know, at last Friday's CFTC report, commitment to traders report, and again, I look at legacy futures only, you know, showed this group still holding net long futures in, in West Texas Intermediate, in Arbob Gasoline, and in, in Distillates. Now, from a seasonal point of view, this makes sense because, the first week of January tends to be the low weekly close for a 12-month period for those three markets. Natural gas will just set aside, and then they, you know, they post varying degrees of large rallies, large seasonal rallies uh, through the spring and summer. But this year's different because it seems like, and, and, and when we see a contra-seasonal move, like what we're starting this week with, you know, the first thing we go to is fundamentals. And, and the fundamental situation in crude oil is far different than what it's been the last few years. We don't have inverted future spreads. We've got future spreads, nearby future spreads with carry in it. So this tells us the supply and demand situation is a little looser than it's been. And that certainly seems to be bringing or sparking some of this uh, non-commercial selling along with the idea U.S. stock indexes should continue to rally through 2024, taking some of the investment money, continuing to take some of the investment money out of commodities. Yeah, and that's a great point you make there, Darren. Uh, so watching just that money flow in and out, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the funds and and the algos here, and you couple that uh, with, uh, I, I think, traders maybe squaring up ahead of uh, Friday's big data dump. I know uh you know, your your affection for the USDA numbers, <laughs> but uh, the January set of data, it's it's just it's a lot of stuff yeah. that gets thrown at this market that does drive initial, 
you know, kind of moves in these markets. Yeah, it's a data dump. Uh, and what's really ironic about this is, you know, USDA is held up on this mantle by so many people in the industry. You know, it is the supply and demand authority and so on. It has absolutely nothing to do with fundamentals. It's about creating trade. It's about generating trade. Uh, that's why you see brokers really pushing these reports and everything like that, uh, because it, it, people trade them for whatever reason. People trade them, and as you mentioned, you know, as we've talked about, you know, funds are still net short. Uh, funds are still net short corn, net short soybeans, and net short wheat. So, mm -hmm. if we see them start to position, they wouldn't be selling. They'd be buying. And so we'll have to see if that happens later this week. You know, we get this washout coming out of the weekend. You know, everyone's looking at uh, South American weather. It'll be interesting to hear John's take on this. Uh, but, you know, everyone's trading South American weather right now. We've got pressure on the markets. Uh, but once we get through today and we get into tomorrow and Wednesday, then let's see if they don't start covering some of these positions heading into Friday ahead of, you know, USDA's data dump. I wanted to, you brought up South America weather. I'm starting to hear some chatter, some private analysts are lowering that mm -hmm. soybean crop estimate for Brazil mm -hmm. and the weather could potentially, too much rain could potentially delay that safrina corn <laughs> planting. I, I mean, how much are you watching some of that right now, Darren? Because it doesn't feel like the soybean market is taking any of that into account right now. Well, what's interesting is folks that talk like this, you know, They'll, they'll try to switch. They'll try to turn anything bullish. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, rain in the equivalent mm -hmm. of early July is never bullish, but they're going to make it sound that way. But in reality, we do still see the long term outlook for the soybean market. Long term commercial outlook for the soybean market is bullish. There's very little carry out in those future spreads. And that's the key indicator. It doesn't matter if Brazil produces 130, 140, 150, 160, whatever. That number is completely irrelevant. I don't care what private analysts say. What matters is does the market view it as bullish or bearish? And right now they're still viewing it as bullish. So in the soybean market, we've got a classic rubber band disposition building where funds are going building their net short futures position while the commercial side's getting more bullish as indicated by the weaker carry and spreads. This usually ends in, in favor of the fundamentals inside of with uh, the, with funds trying to move back to get in line with the commercial side. So we've got some room to go, room to move in this market. And if they start to cover, that could lead to an interesting rally. Darren, uh, a look over at the livestock trade too. Uh, I see some green there. Cattle trying to rebound to start off the week. And we got a, a pretty massive winter storm, as I mentioned, impacting a, a good chunk of feedlot country. I wonder if that could have some impact on this cattle trade here this week and weight gain in the feedlots, et cetera. I think so. You know, when the when the forecast first started coming out uh, early last week, you know, we saw the same thing. We saw some buying coming in, some commercial buying coming in based on that forecast. Then they set aside and the non-commercials were pushing it lower through the rest of the week. But now as we're closer and this storm's actually moving in, I do think we are seeing some commercial buying. It's providing some light support here to start the week. But again, can we find any follow through? Can it build some momentum, you know, beyond just Monday session? That's what will be interesting to see. Darren, final thoughts before we run out of time in this segment. Uh, anything you would uh, tell producers to keep in mind as they're watching the markets here this week? Yeah, two things to keep in mind. This is a week when, when all the focus is on fundamentals, but let's make sure we're focusing on real fundamentals. Let's look at basis and let's look at future spreads. Funds are going to play their games. Funds are going to react uh, to the to the USDA nonsense at the end of the week. But if we've got a good handle on real fundamentals, we'll have a better feeling for the market as a whole. 
Darren, always appreciate the perspective and the analysis. And I know folks can uh, definitely stay up to date with your commentary on X and much more and uh, all the things you post for Bar Chart as well. Appreciate the time. As always, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks again, Jesse. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart, joining us here today on AOA. When we talk about some of that winter weather impacting feedlot country, we're going to get an update on this week's winter storm. And we're also going to get an update on South American weather, I'm sure. We'll talk with John Baranek, DTN Meteorologist, joins us next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You can't escape a traffic jam. Know what else you can't escape? Seasonal allergies. Ah! No! And you might think you can avoid that coffee stain until... Oh, really? You can't escape a lot of things in life. But you can escape prediabetes. Prediabetes captures one in three adults. There are usually no signs of prediabetes. In fact, most people don't even know they have it. But with early diagnosis, you can change the outcome and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. Take action by taking the one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. You might not be able to escape having this song stuck in your head, but you can escape prediabetes. Go to doihaveprediabetes.org today. 
brought to you by the Ad Council and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. The all-hazards weather map from the National Weather Service starting off this week. It's pretty colorful. We have everything from blizzard warnings to winter storm warnings, winter weather advisories, wind advisories. There's a lot going on across the U.S. We're going to try to make sense of everything that is happening and get you the latest details. Joining us now, DTN meteorologist John Baranek. John Great to have you back on the show. No doubt a uh, a busy, busy start to the week for you with everything we have going on uh, across the country from snow and blizzards to severe weather and more. It's uh, I'm sure maybe makes things a little fun for you, doesn't it, John? Well, finally, right, Jesse? I mean, we haven't had a, a big winter storm yet this season. I mean, I, I know there's there's some folks out there that that hate winter and and, uh, and, and and the snow and there's other folks that love it. But, you know, we haven't really had much to talk about here for the last say six weeks in terms of winter weather uh we just it's just been absent and you know december was really warm last week was really nice and warm for most of the country we had a you know a system move through late last week um but you know it was mostly rain a little bit of lighter maybe moderate snow in some spots but this one this 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 is the week here jesse we got first big storm uh developing right now here in this the, the southwestern plains uh, it's already started to dump some heavy snow uh, kind of there in Kansas and Nebraska and kind of there's a little weird extension up into Minnesota as well. Uh, but this storm system is going to wrap up here today and bring a, a giant swath of heavy snow from Kansas through Iowa into Illinois, Wisconsin and Michigan uh, through tomorrow and into uh, Wednesday as well. So we've got a big, long event. You mentioned the blizzard conditions. I mean, you know, a, a storm system that's wound up this tightly really produces a lot of wind. And, you know, we've got a lot of red in that map uh, from the National Weather Service that you mentioned, kind of over Western Kansas into the, into the, the Texas Panhandle and such. But we could see National Weather Service kind of adjust that and, and expand that a bit, um, potentially. Now, we, we might not, you know, hit the exact criteria for a blizzard uh, in mm -hmm. some of these areas, but we're going to see some gusty winds. And with the heavy snow, we're going to see blowing and drifting all over the place. And it's just going to be a mess of a week in terms of snowfall here from, from that central plains area into the, into the great lakes. Um, you mentioned we do have a severe weather threat across the Gulf here for today and moves into the Southeast for tomorrow, heavy rain, uh, kind of in between all of that and all the way to the Gulf coast and across the, the East coast as well. And then, you know, it, it's just wind everywhere. Uh, it's, it's just a big mm -hmm. giant wrapped up snow, uh, storm system. So, um, if, if you, if you look at the national weather service page, there's Brown, uh, just everywhere. And those are all wind advisories and wind warnings. And yeah, I mean, this is just the first storm too, Jesse. We've got another big one coming up later this week. It's going to follow somewhat of a similar path. Um, maybe not exact, but maybe, maybe pretty darn close. Um, it mm -hmm. looks like it's going to develop uh, again in the South Southern central plains around the, the Texas panhandle or Southern Kansas on Thursday, and then uh, move right through uh, the Midwest and the Northeast again. Um, I, models are still trying to figure out exactly where the snow might be and how this one develops. It's going to be a little bit, a little bit different, uh, but we might see somewhat similar impacts from it. Um, very heavy snow across parts of the Midwest and Great Lakes, maybe, maybe Central Plains, maybe not so much there. 
Sure. Uh, but but the Midwest for sure. And it's going to wrap up into a big wound up system. So we could be talking about blizzard conditions again. Um, and that would be more likely for the Midwest again. Um, and mm -hmm. then that one is followed by just this blast of Arctic air. And we haven't mm. seen that yet. I mean, we've seen some colder air uh, briefly at times, but we haven't seen anything of the Arctic variety where we're heading temperatures below zero. And that looks to be the case here. Uh, over the wide section of the plains and uh, probably the, the western half of the Midwest coming up for later this week and weekend and possibly going through a, a large chunk of next week as well. So, I mean, this this week is just just crazy with weather and there's a lot going on. It's hard to make sense of it all, even as we're talking about it here. I'm rambling and going all over the place. Yeah. Sure people are all confused about what's going to happen. <laughs> well, John, there's just, there's, there's a lot happening. That's what it boils down to. And I know a lot of folks uh, throughout the plains and the Midwest going to be hunkered down the next few days with the blizzard conditions and the heavy snow. And then already watching this severe weather to the South along the Gulf coast. I should ask though, we have a, this system is covering a lot of very dry areas of the country and it's been so warm i have to wonder if some of this ground is not that frozen yet as this system's moving through i guess how much of this precipitation is going to help curb some of the drought issues that are out there john that's a very good point jesse i think a lot of it um you're right i mean it hasn't been i mean we talked we just talked about it it hasn't been cold yet and the ground's really not frozen uh, from the Ohio Valley to Kansas southward at all. And even farther north than that, as you get to Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, it's still relatively warm. And so I think a lot of this, uh, even even the snow might melt a little bit um, in before it, it, it covers the ground and, and help to, to really boost some soil moisture here. Over some of those areas that you mentioned are, are really deep in drought. Um, so it, it's it's definitely going to be helpful. Um, and, you know, this first system doesn't have a whole lot of cold air with it, um, especially for this time of year. This time of year, um, you know, we would expect a storm system of this magnitude to bring down below zero temperatures uh, across mm -hmm. a wide area, but it's not going to do that. Um, so uh, we'll have to wait for the second storm system to do that. So any all, for all that, that to say is that you're right, a lot of this uh, moisture is going to be very helpful for the drought. Um boosting local local rivers, feeding the Mississippi. I mean, we've already seen kind of boosts uh, in that from, from some decent uh, rainfall over the this past weekend, the week before. Um, and the, the two coming up here this week will definitely add to that as well. So uh, we're, we're, we're boosting things up pretty good here. This is, uh, this is a good week if, if you wanted to get some soil moisture in. John, uh, we're of course, going to watch what's happening here in the U.S., keep our eyes on things, and it's going to be very, very important. I want to move to South America real quick as well before we run out of time. We've been seeing some good rains again over the weekend in parts of Brazil. Argentina seeing scattered showers in the forecast. What's the latest you can tell us about what's happening in South America with their weather right now, John? Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, overall, things in South America are going pretty good. Um, last week was, was a really good week for getting uh, rainfall in central Brazil from those states that are the highest production states there from Mato Grosso to, to, to Bahia and kind of everything in between saw widespread three to six inches of rain over the last week. And that'll really help to at least stabilize crop conditions out there. I know we, we've been, you know, having issues with heat and dryness kind of, um, 
messing things up there. But I mean, the rainfall over the last say 10 days has been really good in those areas. So it's, it's helping to turn that around. Those showers continue for a lot of this week. Um, we'll, we'll kind of see them, um, weekend lessen in, in intensity and coverage, um, throughout the week, uh, kind of from East to West, but, um, they'll still be around. So, um, you know, things in central Brazil, uh, definitely have stabilized in a, in a much better position. And um, it'll be interesting to see what um, folks like Conab and USDA have to say about where those are going. Cause a lot of the private forecasts for production there have, have been cut quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see, have to see if those government ones um, kind of follow suit, but you know, you get to, to Southern Brazil, they've been a little bit on the drier side lately, which um, for the areas that were really soaked is okay. Uh, but, you know, some there's there's some pockets of dryness in there that are not so great. But, um, you know, there's a front that went through Argentina over the weekend, brought some pretty good rainfall there. Um, it kind of stalls out and kind of waffles around uh, Argent, northern Argentina and southern Brazil all week long. So southern Brazil is going to get some good rainfall here this week, which is probably a good thing for them now. And then uh, over central and southern Argentina, showers look like they're going to kind of continue uh, in, in several waves going through next week. So, um, suffice to say the weather in, in, uh, South America really everywhere is either good or improving this week. So things looking really good down there for, for now, obviously we, for all of us holding on to grain and, and wishing to sell, that's not really a good thing, but we'll, we'll, we'll see some, I'm sure some surprises in those USDA reports and, and, uh, such coming up, uh, that might, uh, throw markets for a loop a little bit. Yeah, that's a, a good point there. It'd be interesting to see some of the because like you mentioned, some of those private estimates have come down. Uh, and a lot of it is perception. We'll see what uh, what USDA and CONAM has to say here later this week. And we'll no doubt watch that impact in markets and continue to watch the weather in South America. And of course, again, uh, stay close and, and watch the weather here in the US uh, with this major winter storm working through and uh, we do appreciate the time and the insight. I know uh, you got a busy week in front of you, John. Thanks for joining us as always. Have a good one, and um, we will talk to you again next week, John. That sounds good, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. I know we could talk about weather for probably a solid three hours here today. We but probably could. <laughs> we could break it down state by state, and we still might confuse people a little bit with everything that's going on. Totally <laughs> would. Totally would. But thanks well, for having me on, Jesse. And, and yes, everybody, bet. keep 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 your eye on the weather. It's gonna be it's gonna be pretty wild this week. DT Ed Meteorologist John Baranek joining us here today on AOA. All right, coming up next, we're going to dive into the latest meat demand monitor numbers with Dr. Glenn Tonsor from Kansas State University. That's next here on AOA. On the January episode of the Monthly Grind, we talk about the relationship between the U.S. Grains Council and the NCGA with Denny Vitaconner from NCGA and Ellen Zimmerman from the Grains Council. Our mission is developing markets, enabling trade, and improving lives. And NCGA is, of course, a really important partner in making that happen. We do a lot of work with trade policy, trade servicing, and demand building. And NCGA comes along right beside us in trade policy efforts domestically and, of course, demand building, too. You know, they can't go to the hill 
and lobby like for more funding for MAP and F and D. And that's where we come in. That's our job is to go to the Hill and lobby to get more funds. Or if there's a policy or a trade barrier in another country that's prohibiting trade. And so that's where the growers, we start knocking on doors and making phone calls to representatives to try to help this trade along. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the monthly grind. It's a show you don't want to miss. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Well, grains and oil seeds are lower this morning. Beans and wheat are down sharply. Corn is off five or six cents currently. Now, there does seem to be a shift in some weather patterns here, and the demise of El Nino has begun, or at least that's what the models are saying, and that's what the data seems to be showing at this time. The current El Nino is still borderline strong and may still have some surprises for us, but the expectation is that it has peaked and that it will decline into the spring. The speed at which the El Nino weakens and to the extent to which we see whether it flips into a La Nina or merely goes neutral is expected to have a significant impact on global weather patterns in the coming months. Now, it will impact the size of Brazilian winter corn crop and it will influence the size of the upcoming U.S. corn and soybean crops. That's in addition to many other factors. Now, the rains, they do continue to fall in previously dry areas of center west and northeast Brazil. We expected the pattern to shift drier again for these regions this week, but the drier pattern now looks to delay into at least the 6 to 15 day period. Harvest is slowly gaining momentum with nearly 3% of Mato Grosso soybeans harvested to this point. The bottom line here, though, is that the bulls currently lack any real story for soybeans, allowing them to give way to the broader commodity deflation mantra that's been in place for much of the past year and a half. Now, that storyline may return if harvest results add fresh fodder at some point, but for now, that's just not the case. Rather, traders are focused on Friday's big USDA data dump when it releases the results of its latest quarterly grain stock survey, small grain seeding survey, final 2023 production report, and updated domestic and global balance sheets. The focus will then shift back to Brazil's winter corn crop and to discussions about the 2024 acreage for the U.S. growing season. The VIX is currently trading about 14 to start this week, while the dollar is lower and crude oil prices are about 4% off following actions by Saudi Arabia to slash prices to its top Asian customers to 27-month lows. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We work around it and we live around it every day. And we just become desensitized to what's around us. We go through safety training and, you know, we try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen, but you just never know. There are so many farmers that I think take for granted all of the underground utilities that are there. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. I mean, we kind to know what's out here, but all at the same time, you, you just always call. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Whether you're installing drain tile or doing any sort of digging, always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked and have the depth confirmed. That's farming with care. But if a line does get damaged, go somewhere safe and call 911. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. And we are working to get connected with Dr. Glenn Tonsor from Kansas State University. He is uh, getting, having a few uh, 
tech issues here today so uh, we're working on that connection we'll get him in here hopefully in just a moment uh, as me and uh, john baranek were talking about uh, their a lot of weather issues uh, impacting much of the u.s here early this week it's something we're gonna keep our eyes on closely a lot of folks uh, have it hunker down a lot of heavy snow blizzard conditions all the way from kansas up through nebraska and iowa into parts of illinois and wisconsin here this week we got to watch for and then rains to the south so definitely stay close with your latest weather forecast for more information all right let's talk about the latest meat demand monitor out from our folks our friends at kansas state university partnership with the beef and pork checkoffs joining us now for that conversation Dr. Glenn Tonsor from Kansas State University. And uh, Glenn, always good to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. And thanks for the patience. That storm was messing with my connection. So happy to be on here. I was wondering, I figured you're probably uh, one of the many folks hunkered down there in Kansas uh, with all this uh, winter weather coming through. And I guess, you know, um, it was bound to happen at some point, right, Glenn? <laughs> <laughs> it does, but we need the moisture. We need to be careful not to complain. Yeah, that's very, very true. We definitely need the moisture. Well, let's talk about the uh, monthly meat demand monitor. And I know that we've uh, been talking the last few months and been watching those household finances. That's been a big, uh, big thing in terms of some of the numbers we see with this meat demand monitor. Is that still the case? Is that one of the big drivers we're watching right now, Glenn? Yeah, it is. And we're starting the year with some pessimism that's going to turn into optimism. And I'll try to outline that for our listeners here. Uh, but very narrowly for everybody to, you know, to get context on this, the meat demand monitor, it's uh, beef and pork checkoff funded based here at K-State. We survey over 2,000 people every month. And in the month of December, uh, only 14% say their household finances are better than they were a year ago. So December of 23, only 14% said their household finances are better than they were December of 22. Um, that's quite stark. And it's very important for the meat context because people tend to spend less, have weaker meat demand when your uh, finances are eroding or if you think they're going to get worse. That shows up particularly on beef and pork uh, to a lesser extent on chicken. And we outline that in our most recent report. Well, let's break down uh, some of these numbers in the report uh, that you mentioned, seeing some of those impacts on, on beef and pork, a little less on chicken. I know you guys, uh, you, you break these down, these categories down month by month. Talk about some of the uh, numbers that, that stood out to you in a, in a good or bad way. Yeah. So first kind of the, the bad, if you like, where we're at right now, and I'll end with some optimism, but uh, the 14% that say their finances are better than they were in December of 22 uh, they included beef in 0.83 meals yesterday, so almost one in three of their meals. Um, they included chicken in a whole meal, and they included pork in 0.59 meals. Conversely, if you're one that told me your finances were worse, which 42%, so just a little less than half of the public, said their fin household finances were worse in December than they were December of 22, then you included beef in only two-thirds of a meal, uh, pork less than half a meal, and chicken about three-quarters of a meal the prior day. All of those are notably lower you're much more likely to tell me you did not have protein in one of your main meals yesterday as your household finances erode. I've outlined that for I probably four months in a row with you, Jesse, so it sounds like a broken record. Um, but I'm doing it on purpose because, A, that's what we keep seeing. But, B, I think that's the status of the macroeconomic situation for a lot of households. Uh, wage increases have occurred, but sentiment, so people thinking that their finances aren't keeping up their cost of living, is what we're honing in on here. And that's real important to appreciate. I think it's one of the biggest headwinds as we start 2024. 
Yeah, great point there. And I have to wonder, too, if that's having some impacts as well. We've talked about this in previous uh, interviews, you know, the difference between at home versus food service, et cetera, going to the restaurants and yep. looking at getting meals. I know you guys break that down as well. What are some of the changes or differences there this month? Yeah, so December of 23 versus November, uh, retail demand, so primarily grocery store, buy it, take it home and consume it was up for every category we look at, except for plant-based patties. Um, so ribeye steak, ground beef, pork chop, bacon, chicken breast, all those that we regularly track, uh, demand was higher for retail channel than it was November, but sort of the opposite is true for food service. So demand for at home was up, demand away from home, specifically for the dinner meal uh, was down. Some of that's not surprising given the holiday effects, right? Most of us mm -hmm. had multiple holidays during December uh, that were at home or maybe somebody else's home. So you're less likely to go out to a restaurant. So I wouldn't necessarily overreact to that, but that pivot definitely showed up in December. I know, too, uh, you guys track meat knowledge and personal diet. That's been a part of the uh, meat demand monitor. Anything new uh, on that side of things, Glenn? Uh, no, and most of this is a good thing that it's not. Uh, so the majority still recognize there's USD inspection on all commercially sold meat. Um, that, that's asked as a yes, no kind of question. Most get that right. Uh, and similarly, uh, well over 80% still recognize that cooking temperature rather than color is a better indicator of meat being done. Uh, so we don't necessarily have to overcook it, right? If you use the thermometer, and there's pretty wide knowledge on that. There's still room for improvement on recognizing pork color and beef quality grades. A little less than half of the public gets questions on those topics, right? Uh, and to your point on diet, uh, we asked folks, it's a simple multiple choice question. Uh, how would you self-declare your diet? Are you a regular consumer of animal products? Uh, still about three-fourths of the public check that box. That's what they indicate. Uh, less than 10% say they're a flexitarian. So uh, they eat meat, but they don't eat meat with every meal. So they're intentional on avoiding their once in a while. But importantly, still are a meat consumer, just not every meal like yours truly. Uh, and vegan vegetarians are uh, less than 6% of the population here in December. Nothing new there, but I like to sometimes interject those to give some relative context on prevalence in our country. We are talking with Dr. Glenn Tonsor from Kansas State University about the latest monthly meat demand monitor. You can read through the report and find the info, agmanager.info. That's a, a K-State website where you can find the details. Glenn, you know, we're wrapping up, obviously, the 2023 data here with this report for the month of December. And you kind of mentioned, you know, starting off the year of 2024, a little pessimism, but maybe some optimism ahead, I guess. Just Talk to us a little bit overall as you kind of have digested all of this data from the last year and thinking ahead here to where things stand now. I mean, what are some things you want folks to remember here as we move into 2024? Yeah, yeah. first I'll give a, a, a data nugget from December, then I'll get a little broader with you in, in that answer. But in December, we asked not only you know how your finances compared to a year ago, which is a backward-looking question, we asked kind of the parallel that's forward-looking. So how do you think your finances will be one year from now? And this is a point of optimism that I want to you know, start this discussion with you, Jesse, is 30% told us in December they think their household finances are going to get better over the next year. Only 23% said they think they're going to get worse. And that's you know sort of the flip of their current sentiment looking backwards. So there's some optimism on the financial front by households. Not everybody, of course, but there's more mm -hmm. people optimistic than they were pessimistic uh, forward looking. I, I think that reflects the fact that inflation has come down. 
the general expectation is that interest rates and therefore borrowing costs are going to come down, um, you know, to be determined exactly how fast and how much that happens. But I think that's embedded in that. To the extent that occurs, that'll be very good for domestic meat demand. Uh, so if wages continue to go up, I mean, maybe not fast, but they go up and cost of living rates slow, then household finances, by definition, will be improving. I think that's what that sentiment improvement basically is pointing us towards. I tend to expect that myself, probably some hiccups along the way. But if I'm looking at 24 as a whole, I think that'll happen. And hopefully that turns what has been a headwind into a supportive pull factor for beef, pork and chicken demand here in 24. So uh, I subscribe to that theory uh, with some you know, waves and rocky roads as we go. I wonder, too, I know, of course, uh, as we kind of wrap up here, you watch uh, things like the size of our cattle herd and, and looking at our hog herd and chickens, uh, you know, with the avian flu we've had and some issues there. Do you, do you anticipate any headwinds in terms of just the, you know, our picture for animals uh, here in the U.S. as we're as we're kind of working through 2024? Is there any headwinds or is there anything positive there we can look at? Yeah, well, there's plenty of headwinds. I mean, I think all of us here are aware of. Uh, particularly the hog industry, you know, the margins in 23 and projections for 24 are uh, pretty stark and not positive. Uh, the cattle herd, as you said, is down. And there's a lot of, I'd say, uncertainty on when and how fast we're going to pull the trigger on expansion. Uh, the net of both of those is probably less beef and pork going to be you know, available as 24 wraps up and we go into 25. A uh, little different story on chicken, but as you alluded to, there are some disease issues to monitor. Um, there's some reason for optimism that feed costs are going to improve. Uh, borrowing cost, you know, I was talking from a consumer's perspective, but if you have an operating loan, if borrowing costs come down, that helps you as well if you're a livestock producer. So there's still some things at 24 that ought to improve, uh, but knowing your books, knowing your cost of, you know, production, knowing your break-evens because of that is always important. Any good economist is going to point that out. But when things are tight and tough, they're even more important. So uh, track down a good farm management guide, you know, whether it's K-State or, you know, your, lo your more local land-grant university tends to have those. Um, that's going to be important as we go forward here in 24. Very, very important. I know you and I could have a much longer conversation on, on some of those topics when it comes to hog margins or, or cattle and rebuilding the herd. And we'll have to save that for another discussion. But before we wrap it up, I, I gave a plug earlier, but give us a rundown of where folks can look at the latest meat demand monitor and all the uh, historical data as well here, Glenn. Yeah, so as noted earlier, it's beef and pork checkoff funded, so everything's fully transparent and available. It's housed at Kansas State University's uh, Agriculture Economics Department, specifically Ag Manager, so A-G-M-A-N-A-G-E-R.info. That's our main website for all our outreach, extension, you know, public-facing resources. If you go there, you will find that project under our broader meat demand segment. You can find these monthly reports you and I summarized, the raw data, the survey instruments, some you know one-off geeky reports, everything from this project is there. And you're always welcome to email me at gtons or at ksu.edu if I could help. Agmanager.info for more information. With that, Dr. Glenn Tonsor with Kansas State University. Thanks for joining us this month to go over the Meat Demand Monitor. We'll talk to you next month. Thanks, Jesse. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about cybersecurity on the farm. Alexa Stevens with Iowa State University will join us next here on AOA. Promise is potent, born of intention, fueled by commitment. It's seeing things through, always showing up. And we know a thing or two about promises here at Susan G. Komen. Over 40 years ago, we locked arms with you toward one vision 
a world without breast cancer. By investing in life-saving research and standing up for patient rights, we are shifting the system so all people everywhere get the care they deserve. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, we've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to raise money to honor the best friend you've just lost, we have a place for you here because of you. We're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. Ending breast cancer needs all of us. Visit Komen.org and be a part of the Susan G. Komen community today. Everyone has a community to lean on, a neighborhood, school, kids' teams, where you worship, work, work out, or any other place or group where you choose to belong. Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use. You've talked with your kids and shared clear expectations, but you're not with them every minute. Your community members, friends and relatives, teachers and coaches, faith leaders, and other important adults in your kids' lives can be your eyes, ears, and a supportive influence when you're not around, reinforcing your messages with your kids and alerting you to warning signs of underage drinking or other substance use. So talk with your kids about these issues and involve the members of your community to help keep your kids safe. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit talktheyhearyou.samsa.gov. On the January episode of the Monthly Grind, we talk about the relationship between the U.S. Grains Council and the NCGA with Denny Vitaconner from NCGA and Ellen Zimmerman from the Grains Council. Our mission is developing markets, enabling trade, and improving lives. And NCGA is, of course, a really important partner in making that happen. We do a lot of work with trade policy, trade servicing, and demand building. And NCGA comes along right beside us in trade policy efforts domestically and, of course, demand building, too. You know, they can't go to the hill and lobby like for more funding for MAP and F&D. And that's where we come in. That's our job is to go to the Hill and lobby to get more funds. Or if there's a policy or a trade barrier in another country that's prohibiting trade. And so that's where the growers, we start knocking on doors and making phone calls to representatives to try to help this trade along. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind. It's a show you don't want to miss. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. 
The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Joining us now, we want to talk about a really great event, and I think a very important event happening, Cybersecurity on the Farm, a conference being put on by Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. It's happening in Ames at the ISU Alumni Center on Thursday, January 11th here this week. Joining us to tell us more about it, Farm Management Specialist with ISU Extension and Outreach, Alexis Stevens is with us. Alexis, thanks for joining us on the program today. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I am great as well. Thank you for the time. Uh, This is a very interesting topic. I think a very hot topic as well. Uh, Just for the simple fact that obviously there's so much changing uh, in our world and when it comes to technology and more and uh, cybersecurity, we always, uh, I feel like, hear about so many different issues surrounding cybersecurity and uh, having that on the farm. there's so many things that surround that as well. So just to start, what led to ISU Extension and Outreach, you know, diving in and hosting a conference like this? Right. You're right. Cybersecurity is such a big deal in today's world. And I think a lot of um, farmers and producers thought, well, it's not really a big deal. It doesn't affect me. I'm just a farmer. I don't really use the internet that much. And so most of us kind of ignored the cybersecurity threat beyond my Facebook getting hacked and that sort of thing. And then about a year or two ago, we had a whole bunch of co-ops across the nation that that were hacked and a lot of them shut down. They went to paper scale tickets. They couldn't access their records. They couldn't um, fulfill grain contracts. And that was a really eye-opening experience for all of us in the ag world because we realized that our food systems were vulnerable and our financial systems and agriculture were just as vulnerable as all of those other industries that we often would see in the news being hacked. And so at Iowa State, we thought, well, we need to get information out there to the farmers. Let's get some information. Let's find that and get it out there. And we discovered that there wasn't any and nobody was really doing this. So we're the first ones that really got the ball rolling on this to get information to farmers and saying, hey, this is a big deal. And we need to be paying attention to this because our food system is really one of the most important things for national security in our country. And we need to keep it safe. 
That is a, a great, great point. It is such a critical part of our national security. And you brought up, you know, the co-ops that got hacked and lost access. And I, I think about, you know, who should attend this conference. I mean, we're not just talking farmers, uh, but we're talking folks who work at co-ops, implement dealers, ag lenders, et cetera. We're, everyone involved in agriculture should really think about attending this conference and, and getting themselves up to speed on cybersecurity on the farm, shouldn't they? Absolutely. Everyone has a role to play in cybersecurity. And so if you know, you're the farmer and you're interacting with your bank or a different lender and implement dealer that's lending you money and you're doing that online, you're leaving the financial system open to be hacked and you're also leaving yourself open to a threat. And so really the most important thing is that we get information out there to the public on how to avoid the threats and how most of the time it's it's something that we do accidentally where we accidentally click on the wrong link or we accidentally get tricked into sending our banking information to those threat actors. And so we want to make everyone aware of, of the different types of scams that are out there and even more importantly, we want to make them aware of where to go to for help if you do find yourself um, a victim of a cyber attack. Well, I know you guys have put together a great program as well throughout the day uh, at the conference. Can you give us a few highlights of some of the speakers who are going to be talking on Thursday? Right. So we will have speakers from the FBI. We have Special Agent Dave uh, Dean Bauer. We also have an agent from the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security. We have um, a member of the Federal Trade Commission, and they have a special uh, cybersecurity task force, and so she's a member of that. We will have people from Avalia Bank, from Farm Credit Services, from John Deere, and then we'll even have um, panelists there who are from the downtown Des Moines Farmers Market, as well as um Farmers who sell online are selling their um, fruits, vegetables, meat, spices, that sort of thing online uh, because they are very vulnerable as a small business. And so we, we're not just talking about the big farmers, the hogs and cattle and corn and soybean farmers, but we're also wanting to have the um, small business farmers, those ones with the specialty crops who are probably doing more online business than, than other farmers. We'll have people there that will show them how to do that safely and explain how to get involved in that arena. Well, great stuff. Again, uh, this conference, very important. Cybersecurity on the Farm coming up on Thursday in Ames at Iowa State University and the Alumni Center being put on by ISU Extension and Outreach. Alexis, if folks want to get registered, uh, tell us a little bit more about where they can get registered and uh, things like that. I know there's a cost as well. Lunch is provided. I know a lot of farmers love that too. Uh, so give us some of those details real quick. Yeah, we have a great lunch. Um, we're going to have lasagna and, and sides and dessert, and there'll be snacks in the morning and the afternoon as well. So always lots of food at extension programs, it seems like. Um, the cost is $40 for the registration, and that is open through January 10th. And it's held in Ames at the Alumni Center. And to get more information about that, you can go on to our website, Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. Um, you can go to the farm management team or ag decision makers website and you can find the registration link there. 
And if you have any other questions about the conference, you can get a hold of Madeline Schultz. Her phone number is 515-294-0588. Extension.iastate.edu. And uh, we'll share a link as well to the registration page on our social media on the AOA uh, socials as well. And we do appreciate the time with that. Alexis Stevens, Farm Management Specialist with Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. Thank you for joining us on the show today. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Man, cybersecurity on the farm, such an important topic. Even if you can't attend this conference, uh, it's definitely something to think about for your operation or your ag business. Well, we're out of time here on the show today. Coming up tomorrow, we'll talk with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. We'll also get an update on South America's weather and crop conditions with Dr. Michael Cordotier from Soybeans and Corn Advisor. We're out of time. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to AOA. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted car. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind. Like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Or that time you forgot to roll up your windows in the car wash. Fantastic. Yeah, a remote control would have come in handy then. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Life doesn't come with a remote control. So you're on your own with the wasps. You have the power to take control of prediabetes. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners.